We here at Foreplay are entering our third week of 90s action films, and that means we have finally arrived at Total Recall. Uh, arguably the best movie, I think, that we're going to review in this cycle. Like, objectively the best movie has aged extremely well. I would say a lot of actual interesting themes around the nature of reality. And it was directed by Paul Verhoeven. Uh, you may be familiar with him from some of his other science fiction work. So famously, he directed RoboCop before this and then Starship Troopers. I don't know if we've brought up Starship Troopers, kind of a criminally mm. underrated and misunderstood film at the time of its creation was taken as actual fascism instead of a satire on fascism, which was a very, very bizarre take even at the time. But another movie that has maybe... Perhaps not been understood when it was released, but has aged very well, which I think could also be said of Total Recall. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I, I think um, what, what's interesting is kind of historically this gets filed away with a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger's other uh, output, which is, you know, usually big, dumb muscle action movies. But this film is not that. It's very much not that. In fact, I would go so far as to say, while I do enjoy Arnie in this movie and enjoy his performance and everything else, I actually think this is just great sci-fi and you could take Arnie out of it and slot any other actor in and it just stands up on its own because uh, as an adaptation of the uh, Philip K. Dick story, um, it's it's superior and but it also does have rich source material, rich world building and is because it's a Verhoeven movie, it's very clever in its script in terms of sort of how it keeps you guessing. And everyone you talk to, I think, you know, will have a, a sort of their own interesting spin on what actually happens in the film. So for me, this is kind of like, I just think it's a great sci-fi film. I don't, it's got some great action sequences but in terms of like rebooting sci-fi for the nineties, I think Total Recall is like what a what a great starting point. I just think this is like it's like a it's like a ten out of ten movie for me for yeah. me. This I think it I think it's actually it, it, again it's one of those where it's like it's perfect in what it sets out to do, and it does every component of it well. And, and I think the way so, on that point, go on. Oh, what's so critical about Verhoeven to your point, Richard, is that there is a lot of popcorn kind of pulpiness layered on top of his films. But underneath that is actually some really smart satire and social commentary and philosophical commentary. So I think people sometimes can get caught up in what would be the kind of shocking violence of both of all his sci-fi movies of this, of, of RoboCop of starship troopers and more of the, the corniness at the surface level and miss a lot of what is happening underneath those layers, because he knows how to make it superficially entertaining for audiences while still slipping in some very interesting messages and conundrums. I mean, to me, that's the reason why, even just by like lateral thinking, you know that this is not just straight fare being produced, like taken at face value. Because if he'd have done one of those movies, Monty, then maybe it could be like, oh, you're reading too much. All three of those collectively are all yeah. clearly like subversive films yep. that have like a second layer they're operating on. But as you say, the, the genius of them is, it's actually, if people don't know, great 
political um, rhetoric in that sense. Great political rhetoric is able to speak to both sides at the same time and make them both think they're getting something while actually potentially either you have one side or potentially a totally completely different third agenda involved as to why you're doing it. So I think that's that's essentially the genius to tie to what Richard's saying is. It's true. I actually do think, by the way, this is probably a better film and a much highly more regarded film if it has a different actor than Arnold. Like if you take any, like you can even take an action star, but just give me one with a bit more acting chops, even if it's like Bruce Willis or something. Dude, this film would be thought sort of as like fucking Inception or something. Like it's actually a mega mind bender and it's got a really interesting plot. It's pretty well constructed. It actually like does some very actually brave things with the story of what he even dares to suggest and hint at, etc. But because it's Arnold, like that is why it's an enormous movie and why it's well remembered like as a film because it's like one of the classic Arnold's in his oeuvre of all those 90s films. But the problem is, I actually do think it makes people think. Like, funny thing is, this makes me remember when I watched it when I was a kid, and I did just watch it as a straight Arnold film. It's like, essentially, Arnold films are just vehicles for him to go from stunt to stunt to stunt with silly one-liners in between to make up for the lack of acting ability, and then the movie's over. So I used to just think it was sort of like a crazy sci-fi movie with Arnold, you know, essentially doing classic Arnold shit, like just saying stupid one-liners, killing people, getting the girl. But when you actually watch it, like, that is just window dressing. Like, that actually gets in the way to some degree of the story behind it. Like, I actually thought, yeah. by the way, I actually even think this shows what a good movie it is. I don't actually have a problem overall with the film. I think I agree with Richard. I think it's a mega film, actually. It's probably one of the best action movies ever. Probably a content of four best action movie ever. But I do think Arnold's acting actually is dog shit in this movie. Oh, but terrible. that's just because Arnold, he is not an actor. Like, he really does just say the lines. Like, the joke is, it's all, I've always thought the weirdest thing is, they clearly have done a Tommy Wiseau retcon of what the room is with Arnold's career because when they started, there's no yeah. way he knew it was like a joke and a meme that he's doing the, the one-liners. That really is just bad acting, but then we just sort of like accepted it because he's a very lovable cam action cam uh, star and has a great like presence and charisma. But eventually it did become like by the time of these movies where they're intentionally stupid, cheesy one-liners, aren't they? But like, I've always thought the weirdest thing about that is it sort of shows that films aren't just about acting and not about character performances always. Like sometimes, like in this case, the story of a film can carry the film or aspects about like essentially like the sets and the scenes and stuff like that. Like the actual central actor performance, probably the worst part about the film. The rest of the oh. film is fantastic. Yeah, it's terrible. And, you know, I think, I think like this is an, int I don't know how much Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, dude, this line he says in this movie, right, which should be a banger line in the context of the movie where he just turns to like, I think it's the Goyagan character and goes, that's the best mind fuck yet. But he says exactly how I just said it. Like, like actually, prob like, what? here's what's bad. Here's the thing I want to just quickly ask you guys. Because this is why it must eventually have been understood, either through focus groups, that it just makes sense. Because any director, you just go, stop, just go again from the top, Arnold. You've got to put a bit, you know, a pathos in there. They're just uh, taking, right, okay. Like, the real question I have is this. Is this just one take material? Like, does he really, do, does the he ball. fuck up 50 and then go, the best mindfuck ever? Like, how is that the last take? Like, that's what I want to get your take on because it does work. Like I say, if you're a kid, you love that style. Like, the, well, like for example, stuff like Commando isn't about acting. But this one here, the fact these lines are almost a bit jarring when he does that, like, the best oh, mindfuck ever. Like, what, you, what, you right. have to rem what you have to remember is this, an interesting detail about the, the production of this movie and so it was originally produced under the De Laurentiis group obviously Dino De Laurentiis the legendary film producer Dino De Laurentiis did not want Arnie uh, Arnie wasn't in consideration he didn't want Arnie okay. anywhere near this film the original actor that was considered well it was a toss-up between Richard Dreyfus 
and Patrick Swayze. Right. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Right. So, so on those two suggestions, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So, two, I mean, even within those choices, two insanely different films, right? So, but also on the list was Christopher Reeve and I think Jeff Bridges, but they were okay. like my, they were minor considerations. Is that I because this of, film would have been of, mega with Jeff Bridges? Bridges could be mega with, because of Tron. Is that why they were thinking about him with this movie? Maybe because what had happened was so the the, the problem you have by 1990 is De Laurent. De Laurentiis Entertainment had gone into such a big hole. It started in 84 with with Dune, uh, with, with David Lynch's Dune. They produced that, and that was obviously, as we know, a very expensive uh, flop. So what ended up happening was um, they, if I remember correctly, what they ended up doing was De Laurentiis ended up not being able to complete uh, production. They put $6 million into pre-production, and then they just said, we can't complete this uh this film now arnold schwarzenegger had wanted to do this short story he knew the script was out there in circulation and he's coming off the back of you know commando uh and and raw deal which he'd done with uh uh, uh, carol co pictures and so he said oh de laurentis has fucked this you know they've fumbled it they need bailing out. Can we swoop in and get the rights to do the movie for a song? And it was actually Arnie that drove it. And again, if memory serves me correctly, so apologies to the YouTubes if any of these details are slightly incorrect. I think it was Arnie that was actually pushing for Verhoeven because I think De Laurentiis didn't even want Verhoeven originally to be the director. The original director that was slated was David fucking Cronenberg, right? So, (laughs) but also, yeah, Yeah, right. yeah, I would so I would watch understand. the the David Cronenberg Jeff Bridges version of this movie. Mm. <laughs> right. So so what it what had happened was Schwarzenegger had seen RoboCop in '87, and basically he said to Carol Co, "Get this guy direct." So I think what happens is you have this. First of all, I'm not saying like Paul Verhoeven has any sense of like obligation to Schwarzenegger, so he let some bad takes go there. But let's be absolutely clear. Verhoeven, he doesn't mind if, like, he is not really a performance-driven director. You think about all of his movies and sort of how the performances are either scenery-chewing or wooden. You know, they seem to fluctuate, oh. even in RoboCop, right? I mean, I, I, I actually think Peter Well is masterful as a robot, but you can maybe argue some of it, oh. you know, it, it isn't so great. Like when he's when he's a normal dude at the start, pre-RoboCop, it's kind of, there is a bit of cringe in there as well. And obviously Verhoeven, I mean, we know what fucking Starship Troopers was like. Don't tell me <laughs> there's any solid acting to be found in there. But again, I think it's by design. And so I think what he realized was, because this was like a a, a Carol Co picture and an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle, there was gonna have to be some give and take because what the studio expected was Commando, let off some steam, Bennett. It was that, right? You know, it, there had to be those one-liners in there. There had to be that continuation of the Arnie mythos. But what Verhoeven did quite cleverly, I think, is the, the framing of it is a sort of power fantasy means that it, it does like as you're watching the film contextually i don't find it that jarring actually because if you were the big dumb action hero in a fantasy implanted in your brain you probably would sound like arnie so i always read it like that for me okay 
his performance being stiff just doesn't really bother me within the context of the movie. It certainly has bothered me in other movies. It's even bothered me in some of the action movies that he's done. Uh, you know, Arnie doesn't have range. I think we can. That's a nice way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, he got but, he but got I, better later in his career, though. Like he was significantly better in True Lies than in this movie, right? Mm. But I but I but I but I would say I think um, considering. You know, he's just a big, dumb construction worker within the context of this film. I, it, it's all right. It actually works for me. And I will say, um, you have to give him credit for when he's his future self talking oh, he's to his... Oh, he's actually the house yeah. guy. Yes, so, I agree. So, so there, is, there, yeah. there, there, there is an aspect of that where, oh, okay, he's the big, dumb, memory-erased yes. brute when he's doing the one-liners, but when he's the sort of sinister evil dude quaffing champagne with Paul Hagen and the boy. Is there anyone else? When I saw him actually play that character, it even made me think he actually was under you. He should have played a proper villain at some point. I'm not Mr. Freeze, obviously. Yeah. I mean, like, dude, the actual <laughs> character he played as the Houtzer guy in the video at the end looked actually like, he had a really interesting sort of demeanor to him, didn't he? Like, he actually came off as way smarter, sort of like classy. I thought that could have been interesting, yeah. Yeah, and so just as my final point as well, I will add the script went through something like forty rewrites to to okay. to, to to get to what we've got in the movie. By the way, one thing we should probably address is because obviously we talked in the past like there's a short story. This is based off from Philip K. Mm. Dick. Essentially, the film is almost nothing like the short story. The short no. story is almost like it's a fun thought exercise. The film's almost nothing like that at all. Like like ninety yeah. percent of what happens in the film isn't in the story. Sure. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's really the it's a short story that lays out the premise, right? And the premise yes. the premise is basically within the short story because we can talk about it really quickly. There are none of yeah. the twist really none of there are twists, but not really. Um, is that you know there is this guy who wants to go to Mars, which is the same as the film. The the beginning is very much the same. He wants to go to Mars. Uh, he has this very strange obsession with it. His wife is against him doing this, like going to Mars at all. So he goes to this recall clinic, which can implant memories as if you had been somewhere. So for people who couldn't afford to go on vacations, they could get all the memories of those vacations. They then find out, just like they do in the film, that there is an existing memory of him being a secret agent on Mars because he wants to live out this fantasy within, they can program it as if you had this adventure as a secret agent in this location or you were various other kinds of people, right? And there's a conflict um, that causes them to not be able to go through with this memory implantation process. That's where the similarities end with the movie. Obviously, the movie then goes to uh, very crazy places where he actually goes to Mars, really was a secret agent at one point in time, allegedly. But the whole movie plays with the idea of reality because he could have been in a simulation basically the entire time, as I'm sure we're going to talk about. That's most of the meat of the philosophy and, and thematics of this. He ends up actually going to Mars or going to Mars in this simulation um, and taking down this capitalist authoritarian who's controlling the air supply on Mars and is keeping everybody under his boot heel. They discovered a piece of alien technology on this planet that by the end of the movie, he activates to to basically create an atmosphere on Mars and end the tyranny of this character. Well, multitudinous action scenes happen and he kills the authoritarian dictator by the end of the film. Um, in the short story, he they the police come instead 
try and say, oh, you can't, you sh we need to kill you because you remembered that you were in fact a government assassin and we tried to erase this memory of yours. And he says, well, what if you just override it with another memory of me needing to stay alive because an alien race would destroy Earth if I don't? And they say, okay. And then they go to reprogram and figured out that was also true, which is kind of a lame twist in that one. Not anywhere near as cool as the fact that in the film, the twist is, is that he was working for the dictator the whole time um, and he needed to join. He needed to implant himself in the revolution. But the, the mutants in the revolution on Mars were psychics. They were they were telepathic so they could see if he was lying. So they had to reprogram his memories to become a mole. And then that's when they're able to destroy the revolution and reprogram him. So it is complicated, yeah. uh, but that's By the way, this is why this movie is a banger, though, because it actually doesn't matter which of the major two interpretations you take. Exactly. If you sure. take the face value one, that, like, I used to actually think until, like, maybe about 10 years ago when I saw it again, when I used to just think, oh, like, they're just laying all that shit on about it could be a dream because they're still trying to fuck with him and psychologically trick him. But actually, like, even though I don't think that now, if you take that interpretation, then the ending of the movie is still straight fire. Like, the actual premise, is even a great Philip K. Dick-style story, even though it's not what's actually in the story, which goes like this. What if the ultimate way to get inside of, like, a, a resistance was to just have one of the main guys legitimately delete his own memories and then go and become a different character who would be embraced by them? But think about how genius this is. The downside of doing that is because you wouldn't actually be yourself anymore. You might fuck up, maybe, actually. You do get one over to the cause and you would go to the... That is, like, a very interesting dilemma, even in itself, philosophically quite a cool story or the other one is in the beginning of the movie when he goes to the recall place they literally explain the whole fucking movie as what he is about to purchase <laughs> that he will be a super spy and he will save the day and get the girl they ask him what girl he wants he describes and they show a literal picture of the actress that he's going to meet and then the idea is that is his dream what we experience is because it's very cleverly shot what they do is they go to a shot where he's waking up out of it and then they just tell you all the stuff he said, which is which if you take it at face value, you take as what has happened. Like, oh, we didn't get a chance to even do the implant, and we're just about to do it. no, no, but that's the point is if you know how movies work, as soon as you do a cut and I'm waking up, it can be a dream already. Like the whole yep. point is that would also be the best way to make this a, a cool thing that you're a super secret agent is you even have to bust out of the place, like, hey, what the hell's going on here? This, this isn't what I wanted, and then it's like the idea is you often run in at that point in time. So I, I even think that they quite they do quite a good sleight of hand at that moment in the movie. Because as I say, if you just listen to what they're telling you, expositionally, you will go along with the first interpretation. This is actually just what you're seeing is what's happening. He did have an implant. He never really did take the package from recall and then he goes off and saves Mars. Or, I mean, we'll get to this later, but I actually take the other interpretation. I actually think from watching the movie and the more I think about it, I think it was just that he, did, which is a genius idea for a movie, that he did have this experience, that this was the experience of going into sort well, of a simulation and having this crazy thing where he's a superhero, or the spy rather, super spy. Right. So so because of the way it's set up, it, it's either that I mean, and here's the thing, Thorne, it can actually be both of these things at the same time, which I think makes it even more interesting because they introduce the premise in both the short story and the film where because in the in the actual film, they say, oh, we couldn't actually implant the, the secret agent thing because he was already a secret agent, right? He, Why he came to recall was because he had a fundamental need and some deep buried memory to re-experience his original identity, which was being a secret agent and going to Mars, right? But they also say that because he was this thing before, introducing the same narrative, 
of him being a secret agent on Mars because he already has these memories that have just been overwritten. New memories along those same lines might create a fundamental conflict because he wouldn't be able to tell which secret agent on Mars was his actual memory, right? Which which iteration of it, the real one or the implanted one. And that creates a psychotic break, which also explains potentially why the movie is so crazy. And especially at the end, because they literally say when the agent shows up, who is allegedly from Recall in the very best scene of this film, right? When he's waiting in the hotel room and the man comes in and says, I am an agent from Recall. I am here to snap you out of this, right? Mm. And you need to listen to me. Otherwise, all of these things are going to happen. The crazy alien stuff. And you're going to have a complete, you know, you're just going to melt down within your own mind and and everything is is going to go haywire. And he ends up shooting this guy because yep. he has a bead of sweat, which indicates that he's nervous, which makes Arnold Schwarzenegger's character Quaid think that he's lying. Right. But there's no indication that he was. And he says, oh. you can't kill me because if you do, there is nobody to get you out of this anymore. And you're just going to go down the rabbit hole. Right. The consequences to you would be devastating. In your mind, I'll be dead. And with no one to guide you out, you'll be stuck in permanent psychosis. But there yeah. is, he, what I think is interesting is that he could have, my point is he could have been the secret agent on Mars and he could still be experiencing the hallucination or the fake memories from recall. And that conflict might actually be creating the really crazy and wild out there scenario because that's what they say is a possibility of happening. So he could, in truth, have had these memories, but we are seeing the psychic, the you know, basically the psychotic break of what happens when these two different memories interact. Right. So, so, so it, it can all be true, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, so some some points on that, right? And it, it, this might seem like a bit of a tangent, but bear with me because I was like writing, I was writing this all down when uh, when when I rewatched it. So one of the things that uh, um, the the uh, short like Shaun of the Dead and you know the Cornetto trilogy gets like a lot of sort of praise for is that it does like subtle foreshadowing. Right. And so if you know, if you've seen Shaun of the Dead, obviously in that scene where, you know, um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are in the bar, Nick Frost says, uh, do you know what we should do tomorrow? We should keep drinking, have a Bloody Mary first thing, a bite at the king's head, a couple at the little princess, stagger back here and bang back at the bar for shots. Right. And obviously, if you watch the structure of the movie, you know, they, they the first zombie they encounter is called Mary. You know, she's got the name tag on the killer. His dad gets bitten, you know, blah, blah, blah. Little princess obviously referring to his ex on off girlfriend. They have to pretend to be zombies. So they stagger back to the pub and then they have a shootout at the pub. And therefore, all the movie was foreshadowed in what seems at the time to be a throwaway comment and it's only kind of on repeat viewings that you get that well total recall did exactly this in 1990 and it's actually way clever and this and not only is it like just clever and funny and a nice little easter egg but it's actually for me that sort of tacit proof that this all is a hallucination because yes, because it is too on the nose yeah so obviously i won't i don't need to bore you with the obvious stuff 
like literally when he says you know oh um if you got to if you got to recall you know what you're going to do like be a secret agent all that stuff and then all of that happens that's really obvious stuff but there's a there's a line before he goes to recall to get the implant and um uh, he, uh, he gets told one of the reasons recall is better than real life travel is you don't deal with quote lost luggage lousy weather and crooked taxi drivers besides a real holiday is a pain in the butt. You got lost luggage, lousy weather, crooked taxi drivers. When you travel with recall, everything is perfect. <laughs> and then you look at the, right exactly. And then you look at the structure. What happens in the movie? He literally fights over that briefcase that unlocks his identity. The lost luggage. This is mine. I don't see your name on it. Someone left it for me. You go find your own bag. Excuse me, ma'am, but I need it. Fuck you, you asshole! Uh, when they end up shooting the windows and people get sucked out on Mars, that's the lousy weather, the swirling chaos, the maelstrom that comes out of it. They get exposed by Benny, a crooked taxi driver. <laughs> and so if you apply this logic and you go to the scene where Dr. Edgemar is the guy who turns... Oh, I missed out the other part, sorry. Um, where, just before he goes under, the doctor says, do you want us to integrate some alien stuff into your fantasy? Yep. And he goes, what, like two-headed monsters? Now, keep in mind, contextually, in the movie, <laughs> one of the things it says on the news is, nobody knows what Quato, the mutant leader of the Resistance, yep. looks yes. like. No one has seen him. And yet, in the uh, when he's exposed, he's a two-headed monster. <laughs> So you you and then and and, and then uh, the the real good part and I, I've got a third theory about this movie that not a lot of people subscribe to but we'll get to that later and it's crucial to this scene when that doctor turns up and he says the walls of reality will come crashing if you don't come out now of the hallucination yep. the walls of reality will come crashing down one minute you'll be the savior of the rebel cause and the next thing you know you'll be cohagen's bosom buddy you'll even have fantasies about alien civilizations as you requested but in the end back on earth you'll be lobotomized the walls of reality will come crashing down one minute you'll be the savior of the rebel cause and the next thing you know you'll be cohagen's bosom buddy You'll even have fantasies about alien civilizations, as you requested. But in the end, back on Earth, you'll be lobotomized. And then he sees the bead of sweat. He shoots the guy. Then immediately, what what happens? A bunch of guys come crashing through the walls. The walls of that 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 were meant to be coming crashing down. He he realizes he is Cohagen's bosom buddy. He does find an alien civilization. Right, and then obviously at the end of it, when the when it fades to white as the fantasy ends, he's fucking lobotomized, isn't he? <laughs> you know, so so you know the 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 foreshadowing, the writing in this movie, it it, it catches a lot of people off guard, or a lot of people don't pick up on it yes. because it's an action movie with Arnie in it, and you're you you get trained when you watch Commando, all the lines are thrown away. You get trained when you watch Predator. Yeah. It's an experience. You don't need to pay attention really to what they're saying. Just sit back and turn your brain off and enjoy the fantastic set pieces. This ain't that movie. 
There's a ton of really clever stuff in this, and you've just got to dial in and pay attention to it because the whole plot is foreshadowed. And even though both readings work, if you really dial in, I think one reading is much yes. more yes. implied than the other. And by the way, this movie, the joke is, if it isn't all a dream of the recall thing, well, then they fucking go ham at pretending it is because they say the word dream one billion fucking times in this movie. <laughs> like, constantly, characters are just saying to him, your life's a dream. Like, life must be a dream. It's almost a dream. Like, they just keep saying this call. Like, every few minutes, a character says that. So I agree, Richard. Like, essentially, like I say, when I was a kid, I didn't get any of this. Like, I did just view it as like an action movie ride, yep. basically. By the way, I will also say as well, this is another movie which if you think about the way the movie plays out has a lot of fucking similarities to like an old point and click adventure you just yeah. go from scene to scene there's only a couple of things but whatever you say magically makes the next part of the story happen in like a way that's like a really weird linear thing that's why to me the actual surface reading isn't even as good as a plot like if that really is the plot like oh, they were just lying the whole time and then you were the saviour and then like it's actually not that good a movie like I actually <laughs> think it's almost like this element that people didn't get about the movie that's actually the real meat of it like like, when I was watching it back now, thinking of this angle when I was going into it, it actually is just a way better sci-fi movie than you ever... That's the thing. People would call it an action movie. This is a sci-fi movie. It's actually... Yeah, totally. a, the way the plot of it, it's a mega sci-fi movie. Like I said, if you had a different actor, I think this would be considered like an Inception-level movie. of like, wow, what a great idea, and the concept was genius. But people miss it because yeah. they're just doing all the fucking... You know, like, see you at the party, Richter, which, mm -hmm. by the way, just still have some great one-liners. <laughs> Not as many as usual, but it's got a few that are in there. Obviously, a consider this a divorce. <laughs> So shout out Arnold for that one. Consider that a divorce. You know, I, I think this is I think people recognize this for what it is now, but I think that really the genius of Verhoeven was that he, as we we opened up talking about, he really was misunderstood at the time. And what this is, is a it's a meta commentary on this kind of dumb action media. Right. He's yep. giving you the wooden performances. And, and, you know, I'm really willing to buy into Richard's interpretation, especially when you see the better acting out of the pre-recorded Hauser segments, which I didn't really think about in terms of comparison. But he's absolutely on point when he says that it feels a lot more natural. Arnold feels a lot more natural in those moments. And to your point, Thorne, he does feel just like a dumb action star, like a fantasy that you would have. And on its surface, it is just one of those dumb action movies, right? Because it's supposed to be that thing. And I think that's what ends up being so strong about it and what has aged very well, because it's very clear to see, you know, it's a clear bifurcation that makes you think about what's going on underneath. And it actually reinforces the message that it is a simulation. You know, it's like um, it's like Mulholland Drive, right, where the acting becomes very uh obvious at times like very it's overacted at times because you realize later on that this was a fantasy right so it feels really out of place at the time but when you actually have the full context of the film and you you realize that it wasn't real and it was surreal or hyper real by nature then it the acting holds up as being much. I mean, stronger. that's that dream logic concept, right? Like right. you say, like a David Lynch film, where you're not yeah. supposed to like linearly understand this as a story, you know. Yeah, and and look, I'll I'll add this to anyone who thinks like, come on, you you just gassing Verhoeven up here. Understand, this is the man that said RoboCop was an an updated American version of the Jesus story, right? <laughs> he said a Europe. 
<laughs> a European movie, this is literally the quote he said. He said a European movie would focus on uh, the life of Jesus before the um, crucifixion, but a, a, a but an American movie would focus on revenge. And so, if you again, if you read it, it's sort of like a modern robotic Christ allegory. It, you know, this motherfucker is wild. <laughs> like Verhoeven is a thinker, you know, and and he, I I said it on the last episode. Even his movies like Showgirls, where you know he's like one of the guys who's created some of the best sci-fi movies of, of the last like 25 years but he's also the guy who's got like a raspberry award for one of the worst films ever made in showgirls and i think it's just like all of his stuff gets like panned at the time and then you because of his undercurrent of satire that that is inherent in everything he does you revisit it 10 15 years later and you go fucking hell like this guy's a genius. Like, <laughs> this guy's an actual fucking so genius, well. you know. I yeah, mean, exactly. It, it has, I mean, like, it, it all has of aged so well. well. Like the technology yeah. aged well, but even the concept of because he did it in the mold of those '80s and '90s action movies, which all seem ridiculous now in retrospect, right? It becomes a, a commentary on the American fantasy in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's saying he is fundamentally saying. That the American fantasy is a delusion. It is a false memory that has been placed into the minds of the populace, right? And he does this at yep. several layers in the film, too, where he has, uh, you know, the reporting that's going on on Mars where the authorities are denying that there's an actual revolution or downplaying the seriousness of what is going on or the motives in order to cover up their own authoritarian and very immoral actions that are trying to keep the planet under control and the resources continue continuing to be mined, even though there is a utopian solution that is literally a push of the button away that would serve everybody. Right. And so, you know, he is he I, there are some really interesting commentaries on the role of mass media, because at the end, you kind of feel like, is all of this action shit faked in order to mask a reality like are we being controlled by the media are we being controlled by the message that is masking a potential utopian solution you know what i mean yeah. are we are we existing in well, a, in, a, in a simulation when the actual reality could be significantly better if we threw off you know the 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 chains the allegory at the center of this film obviously is what people were talking about at the time and you know we're all of that generation but particularly you know I, I i remember you know around about you know late 80s 90s and you, you know you're coming out people are becoming a bit more how should we say conscious about things like environmentalism and stuff well obviously the central part of this plot is that they're controlling the air supply it's limited they are eking it out to an underclass of, of people, despite it being uh, necessary for life. But air has been commodified on Mars. and and But under the surface is this unlimited, you know, technology that they're suppressing. But if activated, would make air free for everybody. It would make the entire planet a paradise, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, when you start thinking about, you know, how everyone was getting more conscious about environmentalism, 
big pushback against, you know, corporations. A lot of people were, you know, getting worried about, you know, what was going to happen with things like water supply, oil supply. This is when people are really starting to sort of come online about it. Again, it's it, it it's a it's a movie where the central plot is actually very prescient because a lot of these things have been commodified. I mean, I don't remember what year it was, but let's not forget, you know, like one of the senior executives at Nestle said drinking water isn't a human right. Let's not forget Coca-Cola have gone into countries like India and literally sucked water out of, yeah. you know, the fucking ground. Some, there will be blood level shit, exactly. Yeah, just exactly. Drank your yeah. fucking milkshake for me yeah. and suddenly these settlements don't have drinking water. This, th th this is exactly where late-stage capitalism takes us. And the idea of air being commodified on a planet that obviously has limited air supplies because it takes energy to generate you know, the, the, is 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 exactly what, what we're doing now. We, we, you know, it's, it's exactly where we're at in 2023. So, I mean, look, Verhoeven, he's, I, I don't know if it's because he's Dutch or whatever. Um, maybe there's a more cynical European sensibility about rampant American corporatism, but it is at the heart of all of his uh, 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 Hollywood output. Um, you know, even in Basic Instinct, which people forget he did. Um, you know, he in 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 this, yes, the, the media are covering up all of these killings, all of these things. You know, late stage capitalism is is getting people killed. RoboCop, everything from the news, the police force has been commodified. You know, like rampant crime being used to lower house prices. So big moguls can swoop in and rebuild new detroit bit on the fucking nose that one that is uh, that is very well in many ways. Uh, uh, starship troopers you know rampant military recruitment yeah, that, flag that's, operations that's that I, I think starship troopers is less about the capitalistic or environmentalist angle angle though and much more about you know Imperialism, fascistic, uh, you yeah. know, nationalistic yeah. jingoism. Uh, but he still plays with the media in the same way in Starship Troopers in ways that have become incredibly durable memes to this day. You know, they're like, I'm doing my oh, part. Yeah. And, do you want to know more? Do you want to know more? I mean, it's amazing yeah. that uh, that movie came out in 97 and 25 years later, those gifts are still all over the Internet because they're so fucking well done. Right. They're so they're so appealing in a way. Yeah, and, and, you know, again, obviously as well, um, another movie that, you know, probably deserves a revisit at some point he did was Hollow Man, you know, a, a modern update of The Invisible Man, uh, which is, again, sort of about, you know, like uh, unchecked power and a lack of accountability. Like, there's always, like, a really sort of smart sensibility at the heart of his films. And he, he does interweave it, as he does here, with the one thing Paul Verhoeven's definitely not squeamish about is sex. There's actually a very weird sexual edge to this. There's like some almost gratuitousness about sex. Again, as a commodity, I mean, you know, think about it. You know, the, the Sharon Stone is the double agent working for Kagan. There's that scene where he meets Melina when he first goes in the underground. And she aggressively grabs his penis <laughs> and says, what have you been feeding this thing? And he just goes, blondes. Hello, Hauser. Still bulging, I see. Mm. What you been feeding this thing? Blondes. I think it's still hungry.
<laughs> and, and and Benny the taxi driver, where he's groping the mutant girl. Like, oh, I mean, as a kid, every, you were like, oh god, I hope my mother doesn't walk in. You know, you see the mutant lady with the three boobs, and and and, and Benny's got. I wish I had three hands, and she's going. You're doing fine with two. And Verhoeven's <laughs> done this throughout his career, you know, like this idea of like everything's for sale, everything's like hypercharged. What is it people want? People want money, they want sex, they want drugs, they want good times, they want power. Yeah. You know, the, the framework of his movies are so modern that you can, I, I think, un, until sort of the sensibilities of the time change, they will always have a well, place. You can always go back and watch I, them. I mean, it gets even more subversive than that. Not only are there, uh, you know, all these whores of various shapes and sizes and mutations, but there's even this weird, like, cuckolding undercurrent going on because you find out that the lead henchman his wife is the the Sharon yeah. Stone character. And there's even a yeah. line in there where his partner, they're talking about him, like them sleeping together because he's she's supposed to pretend to be his wife. And he sarcastically says, yeah, I'm sure she didn't enjoy it at all. Because obviously we're looking yeah. at this incredibly handsome and muscular uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger compared to this rather sad, balding man uh, who's her husband. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. I wouldn't want a guy like Quaid porking my old lady. You saying she likes it? No, I'm sure she hated every minute of it. <laughs> the actor, Michael Ironside, is a classic 80s, 90s yeah. actor. And almost, he, he is one of the most well-cast fucking actors probably ever. Like, everyone knows Scanners. So, like, he's been in so many films where they put him in the perfect role. Like, he is mega as that henchman. Oh, yeah. Like, mean, it's that's... a clever angle to give, like, a motivation for the henchman. Like, that's why he's going balls deep. That's also, to me, though, why the, the surface rating in this movie doesn't work. Like, essentially, the entire plot is jeopardized by that logic, by the fact that this guy is just too salty about the fact his girlfriend is the one that's going undercover. Like, that almost ruins the whole plot of the even the bad guy if you're supposed to believe the surface reading of it. By the way, as an aside, since obviously we're leaning into this stuff, that's another thing about this film I had really forgotten. Look, I know Arnold Schwarzenegger action movies obviously inherently are violent. This is one of the most violent films, like low-key, that isn't known for that ever. <laughs> almost every character, no joke, who doesn't live gets machine gunned to death like just immediately like yeah. people just come into rooms over and over again and just machine gun everyone even that woman with the three tits gets machine gunned the fucking <laughs> mutant guy everyone just gets machine gunned in this movie and when they do it's that classic 80s like where it's like hellraiser level shit where you don't just like get a bullet wound the bullet wound's always so fucking juicy like a leg of fucking lamb that's just been like oh, yeah, yeah. Off the it's always that image and like there's a million people with just bullet wounds everywhere it's ridiculous I, I, it, it's not it's not even just the people it's just that everything is so gratuitous everyone for example i just completely unnecessary things like when he crashes the robo taxi commits great violence on the robot driver and then it just happens to go into a wall it just drives into a wall and then immediately explodes into a you know a giant fireball the fare is 18 credits please sue me dickhead <laughs> Yeah, also, even the taxis are programmed to kill you if you I don't know, pay I know, the fare. I know, I know. It's just, it just, it explodes. It's in a <laughs> he kills the, the turncourt fucking taxi driver by drilling into his like <laughs> drilling tank machine and just yeah. killing him inside. Like, what even? It's such. What's mad about the movie is though, because you're in like Arnold Archer movie, you don't even sort of like engage with those things. You just like, well, yeah, well, well, he killed him. Oh. So in fact, the one with the taxi driver, brother, I've always thought that one. Even as a kid, I thought. 
but what's the what is the moral message here? Like you <laughs> you stole the taxi, and then at the end when you fucked the whole taxi up, you just go like sue me, dickhead. Like you're the dickhead. <laughs> oh no, sorry, quid. You're the you are the dickhead. Like you're just an anti-social asshole. Like, because... like why no, but why does that part find him to be the hero? Like oh, because just fuck, because sue me, it's dickhead. a like, because it's what? a stupid it's a stupid fantasy that's getting implanted into his oh, head exactly. where he that's has unlimited if... power. Right. That's, That's why, why if you believe I, I agree, Monty. If you believe that, it makes everything okay I mean, because then it can just be a cardboard self-insert. And it also, it also everything just, can just be ridiculous. Yeah. It, it makes sense why that taxi would explode because that's the cool thing that would happen in your perfect memory of you being a bad... And uh, By the way, I love how this is a secret agent where he's literally doing nothing secretive whatsoever. Oh, no, he's, of course not. He's, he's, it's, it's, it's just him being a super soldier, basically. But I also love just... Speaking of the gratuitousness, when he... When he hides the the tracker that was in his brain and he gives it to the rats in the candy bar and then they show up and then of course they just have to murder all of the rats and the, then the rat blood explodes onto the screen and then on top of that they do this dissolve cut where the red blood becomes the red sand of yes. Mars. It's yeah, just Mars, so yeah. ridiculous. Oh, it's yeah. just so that ridiculous. exactly highlights what I'm talking about because Get at the risk, of, at the risk of sounding like Sean Bean's character in Ronin, Richard, that yeah. absolute scene just is a bit of strawberry jam, in it? It's just some fucking jam just leaking down that screen. I've seen jam before. Listen, that's, that's ridiculous. That is so egregious that Although I agree, like the rat blood is so like thick, and fucking you know, almost like. Well, it's rippling. it's the it's the combination of that and then just the dissolve the dissolve oh, no, cut so, to the red sand. So... Nose, and like it, it like physically wouldn't even fit up your nose. It's so massive when it comes out. Like, oh. and by the way, it it reminds me of that scene in Terminator where he's fixing himself. Classic switch to yeah. like a GI Joe model. But this is why this is why people need to know in these movies CGI isn't that your brain knows that isn't really Arnold, but it doesn't care. It's just not a problem. Yeah. You don't actually need it to be CGI on that scene. Even though I know it's essentially just a big Barbie pulling a ball out of its nose, somehow your brain allows you to get past that like i actually think this movie in general just shows like i say some movies don't have to have a great leading man they just don't like you can you can almost have the it, like a, an empty chair to some degree and it could work i mean i would i would say as well on on the uh effects uh i think again i i you know probably zoomers wouldn't agree with this but i i think they've aged incredibly awesome. well they look yeah. great yeah the quick talk even looks dope as well well, that was that's Rob Bettine. That's the great Rob Bettine's work. So, I mean, you you know, you, obviously Rob Bettine, you expect uh, to to age well. But I mean, you know, he's like obviously done so many legendary effect stuff down 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 the years, including obviously the um, the he did the Werewolf Transformation and American Werewolf in right Rome. classic. Um, so. Uh, the, the you know, but this they it's the miniatures they use. I love in this movie because they well, you know when you get the big zoom out of Mars and the little train. There's a there's a there's a there's a bit in this movie where Arnie is on that train going to the main part of Mars, and he looks out the window at Mars, and they zoom out of the window into the model but you can still sort of see arnie on the train as they like come out it's like it's like a really good shot like actually and you know i i think uh, the 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 x-ray stuff when he's got the gun that i remember that but back when it's now yeah back when that back when the movie came out that was the little clip they used to show 
to blow everyone's minds because you know it was billed and this is again how stupid it is when you think about what the movie really is it was billed as a special effects extravaganza pioneering special effects which you know when you think about it within the 1990s context that x-ray scene quato the fucking mask with the fucking lady two weeks when fucking quaid <laughs> is trying to get through customs like fuck me dude it's like uh it's not just it, that it's like, the sets too man like the sets all yeah. look amazing the world feels very real in this film yeah even like just has- that red scene you're talking about looks mega cinematic like when it's on his face famously like on that post it looks awesome actually does give it a totally different i, 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 I want to say just so we don't have to edit this in post i got it wrong so rick baker did american werewolf in london Rob Bettine did the howling. My bad. Ah, okay. Which is also mega. Sorry. I, I, two, <laughs> Sorry. Two, two great special effects artists <laughs> with the same fucking initials, both doing werewolf movies. It's early. I'm, I'm on my third cup of coffee. So Don't the chew way, me it, up in the YouTube comments. Ian, as everyone has seen American Werewolf in London, right? But Lord Speaker haven't seen the howling. It's worth it just for that one scene where the guy just gets up like, and tonight, like, you just have to watch that movie. It is worth it. It's, it's underrated yeah. for sure. Yeah, but so so I mean, look, I I think I think this movie is fucking um, you know aged like unbelievably well, just in terms of like look and feel. I still think it feels fresh, but I think that about I think that about all of Verhoeven's kind of sci-fi output. Actually, I think RoboCop, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers, if you kind of imagine them as like a sort of dystopian trilogy, I think they all there's almost something about the artifice and the lack of performance and the steadfast refusal to not overly lean into cgi too much um there's something because there's a lot of practical effects in starship troopers too even though yeah it does use cgi for some of the big battle scenes i yeah, think but, you know the that, the, that the, the close the close-up stuff in starship troopers like the yeah. brain bug are all practical yeah. effects and they look all great. practical effects yeah and and it's what i mean there's something about practical effects that as duncan says where even though your brain knows, oh, that this is where he switches it to the dummy because you have that uncanny valley effect. It could still be wince-inducing. It can still make you feel things, you know, like, again, Starship Troopers, when the fucking brain bug pokes him in and sucks his fucking head out. You know you're looking at a dummy, but it's so fucking gross watching him get all his brain matter sucked out and his eyes roll up into his fucking head. You know, it's quite gruesome. So, yeah, in terms of look, this film has aged, like, super well. And I, I've got to say, I think while Arnie's performance, kind, yeah, you know, it's flat, um, maybe by design, maybe not. We can go back and forth on that one. I will say the supporting cast in this film all do a fantastic job. Uh, you know, I mean, like I, I love Michael Ironside. Uh, uh, you know, again, my much like Duncan, my, I think my first exposure to him was Scanners, which if you were a kid, you know, you just you, and you could get a copy of this on VHS. Obviously, like a guy's fucking head explodes, dude. Like it's fucking, you know what I mean? A full frontal fucking head explosion. And so, but you know, he's done like so many, uh, like you know, good movies. He's always putting solid performances. He makes a fantastic stern villain. It's totally believable. He can also sort of play a tough guy, even though he has an unconventional look for that. And um, also, 
not afraid of doing the prosthetic work. Uh, you know, I mean, like the running gag is, is there a movie he doesn't lose a limb in, you know, because he's always doing that. And, you know, that takes a lot of effort. You have to, again, like airbrush out the fucking thing or you took an arm up a jump, you've got to put a prosthetic on. He's just so game for anything and 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 really understood the assignment with this movie. I think he's a great villain. I think um, the other guy, uh, Ronnie Cox, who is the the villain that Cohagen works for? The is the main dude. He's the guy who plays Dick Jones in in Robo. Yeah, he is Cohagen. He is Cohagen. Sorry, yeah, he's Cohagen. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, sorry, I Ironside. Yeah, yeah, Ironside works for him. But yeah, he he's like really good in this movie too. I mean, he's you know he's only got a few scenes in reality, but again, he is an actor that he just exudes that kind of like corporate. Great. There's just something about him. I mean, he's he was mega in so... the he's almost the same character in Robocop. Obviously, he's yeah. mega in that too, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And ob- no, but also, and also, and, and this this was more for Monty. But you, he played. Um, you remember he played uh, in what was it? Best of Both Worlds. He plays the fucking captain that comes. Oh yeah. In. Also, I noticed Marco yeah. Limo in this, who's Ducat in DS9. He just is yeah, the yeah. captain. Because it was so funny because <laughs> yeah. I started watching this because he's right at he's right at the beginning. He's like the captain of the guards on Mars. I was like, oh, that's Ducat. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, 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 I just loved him in that because what's actually good about his performance in Best of Both Worlds is he's kind of not an asshole. Like he is, because they always do that thing, that trope in Star Trek, where he, the, the new guy, the admiral, the, the new captain, they're always assholes who don't get it. And But he comes in and he just does things a different way to Picard and Riker gives him a really hard time. <laughs> and they sort of begrudgingly have to work together to get Picard back from the Borg. So, yeah, I mean, uh, he's another really solid character actor. And I've got to say, um, this is like an interesting time in Sharon stone's career as well because i mean this is when she's really just kind of you know taking off she done i don't know what year police academy 4 was was that like i want to say <laughs> I have no idea well she was she was sort of at the end of police academy 4 that's where steve guttenberg just disappeared off the face of the earth he goes up in a hot air balloon with sharon stone and you just never see we never saw steve guttenberg again he's still out there somewhere in the clouds um but you know this is like where sharon stone i thought she got a she got a pretty meaty role in this it was physical she gets some good lines she's almost like a, a modern update of the femme fatale she's a seductress but she's an assassin you know she's the uh the the the, mo- the kind of mob guy's wife I, yeah i i think this is like a really for, for what the movie is, I think it's a really well-cast movie. And I think everybody, it, even the people like Benny, the taxi driver, they all get great lines and memorable scenes. Five kids to feed. Shit, I got five kids to feed. <laughs> you know, like, it just keeps saying which that he said, over which and over he again. Says th- three times. And then, because, you know, it's it, this movie is so clever because I'm, I'm like, oh, man, he said it again. And then it becomes yeah. a joke where he doesn't even remember it. And it's part yeah, of his yeah. transformation of his character where you realize that he was doing that intentionally as part of an act and i'm like oh it, it all makes sense now okay that was a deliberate choice that they were making it wasn't just bad writing yeah uh, yeah but also as well it's so like what would a moron's concept of spy play be <laughs> right it's like i got five kids 
Next scene, everyone. I got five kids. Advance two scenes. I got four kids. I thought you said it was five. Shit, I ain't even married. That's how a moron spies catch people. You know what I mean? So it even works within the concept of it being a, fan a construction worker's fantasy. I got four kids to feed. So what happened to number five? Ah, <laughs> oh, shit, man. You got me. Yeah, like, there's just there's just so much to love about this film. It's fucking great. I love it. I also thought as well because obviously this ties into the wife angle. They did a great job early in the movie doing what if anyone's ever seen classically the Truman Show does this all the time, where because obviously the character isn't allowed to do certain things, everyone's job is just sort of getting their way constantly. Oh, sorry, that, uh, you can't go there. The bridge is down at the moment. Oh, you yeah. don't want to go there. You want to go to this other place. Like they just do a really good job because that actually increases the feeling like a good Philip Kiddick story of like the paranoia of like what the mm. fuck they trying to stop me getting there what's going on here there's something something sinister here even though everyone in theory is doing it in a way that's like believable as like just the way their life is oh yeah, come on honey just stay in bed today or whatever it's that sort of thing so they do a really good job i think playing that off as well yeah i, I mean you, there is there is a, a, a it's, it's a very hard to pinpoint feeling to the movie like i think when you watch this you feel exhilarated but also very off kilter because the pacing is fantastic. Like, I mean, it really ramps up. Like, one minute he's talking to the, his fat friend, like, who looks like Danny DeVito's better-looking brother. And then the next minute he's having a fight in a fucking parking lot. And then... He never gets up, does it? Yeah. Just yeah, like, like bro, like, did it, get your ass to Mars. He's fucking yeah. pulling shit out his brain. He's on Mars. He he's, meets Melina. Like, what the fuck? Like, it really moves at a fast pace and i think again verhoven's everything he does is so deliberate it's obviously designed to do that because this is the way you would sort of synthesize an adrenaline experience for the viewer which is obviously what quaid is going through himself you know but it's I, I think very... what's really what's really hard to do is to tell the story effectively when the 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 central premise is first off that it's all probably it all probably is a simulation. It is a fake memory, right? Mm. But on top of that, you have a really complex double agent arc where the double agent doesn't even know that he's a double agent. And you have to sell that somehow, right? And that is, I think that's really hard to do coherently, but it's crystal clear at all times what is going on in this picture because of the the narrative that they have with Hauser in the videos, right? It's the videos of Hauser that are so effective at kind of leading you from one stage of Quaid's discovery to the next stage of, of Quaid's discovery. And that makes it quite easy to follow in the end, which I think is, is definitely one of the stronger points of the film, because that's one of those, that's one of those twists that could be very confusing and get lost pretty easily. By the yeah. way, the other thing as well about this film is, this is why, to me, the director and what his other works do allow me to A-B test that this is intentional, what he's doing with the film. Because if you think about it, the actual plot, if you take the movie at face value, is incredibly stupid. Like, <laughs> so wait a minute. This guy, because you don't want him to reveal this info, right? That's the initial premise. You've you've wiped his mind and you put... But that isn't, though. Later, if you believe the uh, uh, surface value plot, they intentionally did that 
so that he could eventually get closer to the mutant guy, right? But in doing so, they have to create a bunch of totally implausible scenarios. Like, after the fact, use a video of him saying, like, oh, by the way, go and check out this place. And we're like, just, they have to insert things like that to push him forwards. But in doing so, you also then risk the entire operation being fucked. Like, that's actually yeah. not very good if that's a, a traditional movie. That'd be a terrible movie. The plot holes are garbage. And it's just not a very good motivation. If instead, though, it is that this is all, like, dream logic and think you're just taking details and connecting them together then it actually has like it works as a film in that sense because as Richard says it's essentially just to keep you going at this breakneck pace through the plot you have to just keep going from this scene to this scene to this scene by the way as an aside the other thing about the violence and the fact that I keep I keep when I was watching the movie, I kept realizing, dude, you, you really are just desensitized to it in this film because some of the shit they actually show you in this film is wild for just throwaway scenes. Like the scene where Quator dies, and as he's saying his last words, they just bullet him in the head, and you see like a bullet. Like, that's actually, by the way, that's straight fire. It's hilarious. I can't lie. I took me out of the movie for a second. But think about that. When have you ever seen a movie like that where the guy's like, tell them? my wife and then someone's shooting point blank at like that's fucking wild man like, well it's it, it but it's really out there movie visually all this but, stuff it tries to show you but the, the hyper violence is the point because it is yep. so violent that that's what makes you know that it's a fake piece well, that, of well, media. The point is, that would be the dream if you were experiencing yes. this weird simulation you would want yeah. it to be like an explosion well, here and then you shoot a guy in the head and the other die and you've got to keep going it, yeah of course it's also it's also just satire because basically the point of this memory is that you are paying for this experience. You're paying for the memory, which is by the way, exactly what paying for one of these action movies is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you were to go to a normal, it's a great meta commentary on the nature of media. If you were to go to a normal nineties action movie, you were going to go to watch predator. You are paying money to watch the hyper violence of that movie and pretend that you are Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. That's exactly what's mm -hmm. happening. And so I think in a way what he's saying is that this by by hyper making it so heightened in terms of the sex and the violence and the ridiculousness. Right. It's very clear that you're paying for a a larger than life experience, which again leads us back to, of course, this is actually just an implanted memory because there's nothing realistic about this whatsoever. And, you know, he is he is ignoring his humdrum, dreary life as a construction worker in order to pay for this instead. And it goes beyond, I mean, we can talk about this because we're in the video games. You are in the video game space, right? But what's crazy is that this has actually become reality in some ways. So for example, in an MMORPG, you are paying a company so that you you work all day in your humdrum existence so that you can go be a hero in World of Warcraft and be part of a guild that takes down an epic monster. And that is a substitution. That is a heightened experience. That is a substitution for stuff you could be doing in your in your own real life. I think there is a commentary here on Arnold Schwarzenegger's character where he wants this same thing so badly. He wants to go to Mars. He wants to travel. He wants to see these things. But he doesn't do it. He takes the cheap way out instead. He has he allows somebody else to implant that experience within his own mind instead of going on the adventure. And like, isn't that scarily true of games and modern media? Yeah, I, I think, look, there's definitely I mean, one of the things that Verhoeven's very conscious of is sort of like um, excess 
and in particular American excess. And uh, you know, I, I, I mean, as I said, I mean, if, you know, this is a guy who sort of even explicitly stated in the interpretation of RoboCop that you know it is it is if the Americans conceived of the Jesus mythology, this is what it would look like. You know, you even walk some fucking water at the end as, as he goes to kill Clarence Boddicker. You know, so it's like uh, you know, I, I totally get it. I think I think there is a smart meta commentary there. Like, who the fuck would sign up for this? There's 74 murders in this film. <laughs> who would pay to be witness to that or to be privy? to that well obviously again it's the classic american power fantasy it's bond on I, steroids you know i mean so, i pay money to buy hyper violent video games that i play to blow yeah exactly up. exactly but also <laughs> i i think within that you have, you have to understand you know a recall as a service as you know as it should be ignoring the risks of the schizoid embolism and all of that stuff um re recall is sort of a natural progression and ultimately is harmless it, 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 because if you, if you look at it they're so blase about it uh, you know when they're doing it you want some alien shit in there yeah yeah what, what kind of chick do you want to get with you know they do all that and it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I think also there's a, that the, the, there is an implication there that for all of its excess and kind of ridiculousness, it is just a fantasy. And at the end but, of the day, fantasies are okay. Yeah, but I, I just think this movie is so prescient in so many ways. Like I said, it, it presaged realistic, epic video games. When in 1990, huh? video games couldn't exist on the immersiveness or the scale. You know, you you can yeah, play fair. the new Wolfenstein game and just go murder Nazis in brutal, brutal ways. You know what I mean? You can be that yes. you can literally be a 90s action hero in the new Wolfenstein games. It is eerily similar. Uh, look at porn these days. Do you think Verhoeven would have known that pornography would be as ubiquitous that you could get, you know, some CG three breasted woman if that's your fucking jam. Like, I, like I, what's, I what's crazy about did. this? <laughs> By the way, Monty, you do know the face in Wolfenstein basically could be Arnold from this movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, BJ Blaskowitz. Uh, yeah, that's why I made the. That's why I made the. The. Technical, yeah. You know, I, I look. I actually like the new Wolfenstein games, and I think they do do a. They're much more like this film. They're much more interesting than they appear on their surface, um, but. That's completely aside. I, I think that that's one of the reasons why this film has aged so well is because in comparison to hyper-violent video games, in comparison to modern pornography, this felt rather tame in many ways. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I think um, it, it's kind of weird as well because the reviews and stuff it got at the time, it was ca really called out for being like heavily gratuitous. You know, I think people... it has to be though, because that's the commentary it's making. Yeah, it's a commentary on exactly. society and, and of filmmaking. Yeah. I don't think people got it. I think if you go and look at like, say the critical response it got, and I, you know, I pulled out some of the reviews. I mean, here's one from the Washington post that just shows how like far away they were from understanding what the movie was going for. Uh, it says here, um, this is a gratuitous explosion of vainglory and guts. The movie is all firecrackers and giblets and broken glass. The overall effect is like wading through hospital waste. Verhoeven, who also directed the maliciously stylistic Robocop, disappoints with this appalling onslaught of blood and boredom. To a large degree, he's abandoned cynicism and ingenuity for macho burlesque and thick-headed misogyny. This is down 
there with Cobra, right? Now, have you seen fucking Cobra? That film is dog shit compared to this. Like, it's, you know, ridiculous. And How? then it, it ends with, aside from a few terrific effects, Total Recall is not good science fiction. Despite the big budget, it is a wasteland of latex prosthetics, dreary sets, and broken glass again. So it seems to have a problem with broken glass for some reason. Its main selling point, the storyline, betrays the audience with a sheepish ending and its star gives an unusually oafish performance a cross between frankenstein's monster a hockey puck with swollen glands and colonel clink like stallone schwarzenegger is a talking cartoon whose objective is to make violence fun and uh so i, I mean that that's the point review, though <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a power fantasy he paid for, like within just, the context I, of the film. You know? I cannot understand how you could possibly watch this movie and not be aware that there is a strong possibility, if not overt indication, that this is all the fantasy he bought from Recall. I don't understand how you can. I don't understand how you could make that mistake as a professional film critic. That is wild. Oh, I mean, dude, it, it, they're certainly uh, they're certainly not alone. I, I pulled a few a few others out. I mean, put it this way: um, all you need to know again is our boy Roger Ebert is fucking struck again. He actually he actually said the best thing about the movie was Schwarzenegger's performance. He said uh, he said he because he, he was playing a confused, vulnerable, and sympathetic character. It was vital vital to the movie working. Whereas, of course, I think. Dude, hasn't this guy hated on almost every good movie we've done so far? Yeah, Was there he, even he, one that he liked? I mean, it's, it's, well, it's well, a I, shit review of all of them. Yeah, you know, but it, but that that's that's the funny fucking part. It's like he actually does. He he likes the movie, but he likes it sort of predicated on Schwarzenegger's performance, and not any of the other stuff. So I mean, it, it's 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 really weird. Uh, you know, th this always happens. I think because when you do subversive genres like sci-fi and horror um they they reflect societal angst at the time better than any other genre obviously sci-fi is typically dystopian not utopian right and you know we, we it's it, it's a fear about where we're gonna be and you know like the, the, i can't remember who said it but there's that fucking famous quote that good sci-fi isn't really about the future it's about the present Right. And then obviously were horror movies, you know, my my wheelhouse and what I wrote uh, my kind of like end of year extended essay about is it's always a reflection of contemporary society's fears, whatever that might be and wherever it takes us. And as a result, I think critics have a tendency to get squeamish and they push back and they're pushing back at the commentary of the movie the thing that the movie is trying to bring into sharp focus they almost do it reflexively they're not really thinking about you know this movie is kind of an exploration within a safe arena of these things that we need to be cognizant about you know the body horror of Cronenberg and the rise of uh, you know AIDS and HIV um you know there's all these like little smart movies that allow us to explore these potential concepts and this one is exploring you know again for a big dumb action movie for cobra you know it's exploring lots of things it is exploring you know the permissiveness of a power fantasy it's explore it's exploring late stage capitalism as we've talked about it's exploring 
you know, the way that we consume and interface with media. And so it's a very clever movie. And it's a movie that has gone on to really sort of have, have addressed a bunch of issues that we sort of haven't really paid attention to and maybe have kind of got out of control and run away from us a little bit, you know, because we're just we're just dismissing this film out of hand and all of the attempts from art to explore those topics. So it's like, I know I, I, I don't, I don't understand why critics continually do this. You know, we, we, we covered the thing. The thing was panned. There was no cold war reading of the thing from critics at the time. It was called a fucking gore movie. Like, what I mean, if you watching? the trend here, Richard is it's horror and action movies. It's like oh. the critics are some like, caricature like Frasier-esque <laughs> character who just thinks yeah, yeah, oh, this yeah. is just some nonsense and then they just don't even engage with it like as you say to me they've just gotten lost in the Arnold part of it and they haven't even engaged yeah. with the fucking plot yeah like the, no, the, no, the no, ending no, no. is bad the salty of the ending makes the whole movie for so, me if they actually yeah. really at the end just told you it's literally just this and this is the only interpret- <laughs> that would ruin the whole discussion we just had here I, I also think potentially part of this is that we hadn't seen We'd seen Blade Runner, but the Philip K. Dick, if you were not familiar with reading his works, a lot of the other famous films that are based on his stories came out after this one. But all of them have, you know, the way Philip K. Dick writes is all about this kind of mind fuckery. And if you're not expecting it or you're not waiting for it because you know it's a Philip K. Dick story, perhaps that's somewhat forgivable because – Obviously, later on, they made a film out of Minority Report, and they made a film out of uh, Scanner Darkly, both both of which are great. I mean, we could spend an entire month just doing Philip K. Dick, you know, movies yeah. on on this show. Um, and perhaps that's perhaps because there hadn't been that many interpretations of his work. If you weren't familiar with the the kind of fundamental texts, that you you're you may be more likely to misinterpret that as, as something that it's not. Yeah, also, to I mean, me, uh, Philip K. Dick stories in general are just like, essentially, it's like the best episodes of the Twilight Zone. They're just, it's conceptually sure. where the brilliance is, not always the execution. Like, actually, I have one for you since everyone knows the famous ones. There's one that's like, uh, uh, fucking no one's seen this one. It's from 2001. It's a movie called Imposter. It has Gary mm. Sinise in and a bunch of like famous <laughs> people, Vincent Dionofro. It's, it's another one where I won't tell you any of the premise, but it's just another brilliant, like, mind fuck type movie where the premise is just great. It's basically like, about I won't tell you any premise actually what it'll spoil the concept but it's one that if you haven't seen it look this one up like basically I've always said this I said this on the last one about um I think I can't remember if I said it on the one about Face It or Mission Impossible. I can forgive a lot about a film if it actually has like real ambition, though. If it really goes for something and tries to do something amazing and tell some great like thing that's more so than just the typical plot, I can forgive like if you scoff a little bit or you don't stick the landing perfectly. Because to me, that's also another thing about film is like you can make something very safe and do all the shots the right way. That's that can be great too. But that a lot of people are doing that. There's not that many people really trying like like you said about the stuff with the models if you actually think about it these guys almost had to have like a crazy um artistic arrogance to even think without the tech you could show these things on camera like how could you get a shot of a giant alien civilization under mars that's got like a like that to even attempt that is almost like insane but if you can pull it off at all what it does in your mind when you let yourself go in while watching a movie and you have the the suspension of disbelief is incredible like i think this is a great example of it because like i say the joke is i almost wouldn't want them to make the graphics better i actually think it would take away from the feel of the movie 
think about how good the sets are in this film. Like I, I was blown away yeah. when you read that that review, Richard, that said the sets were boring. Like I think know, about well, it. They then. have that they had an entire brutalist architecture sequence on Earth. Right. With the all the concrete kind of showing the dystopia. Think about how many different sets they had to have his apartment, the lobby of his apartment, the subway train that he's in, um, you know, with the X-ray sequence. Then they get to Mars. They have to design that entire Mars set, which has to have those drilling machines going through the red walls. Then they have to have that fucking badass like whore town set that looks amazing and you know definitely livens up the atmosphere they have to have the interiors of those whore sets including like the bed chamber level the bar level um they have to have uh uh what's his name the boss's office um cohagen's office um and that has a certain like cast to it right they have to have these huge walls of glass on the dome where they do all these chase sequences um, I, I, there are so many sets in this movie, the alien or the, the alien machine at the end. And I think the, the world of this is just so incredibly compelling and it must've been an insanely massive undertaking to do so many different sci-fi sets in this short period of time because they bounce from one to the next. And that's what keeps it visually very, very appealing. I think the hotel, yeah. like there's so much, there's so much in this film. Oh, the, 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 the world building is really subtle and clever for sure and you know everything from you know the 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 johnny cabs uh to you know oh, like right. just little yeah just little touches <laughs> like, um when, when, no... he, when, when he was wearing you know when he was pretending to be the woman at customs as we mentioned yeah there was no reason to have that thing be so cool that comes off of his head it could have been no. just like in mission impossible A, which we did last yeah, week just to reveal but it was yeah, fucking yeah. awesome for no reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The 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 idea as well. And by, and by the way, not only is it awesome, it is in no way set up. It is a surprise. The first time you see that, you're like, "Well, who's this fat lady?" And obviously, two weeks, and then the ear comes out and everything. It's just fucking great. It's just fucking the world building is so sort of believable, um, in the sense that you know a lot of the, like she said, a lot of the tech we've got. You know, th that, that idea of a fucking x-ray scanner at like a fucking airport or a train station his, was his like... Whole, his apartment in with the, the video no, I think, wall. I agree. Think how insane that is, though, what Richard's yeah. saying. In 1990, there was the idea you'd have to go through a visual x-ray yeah. scanner to yeah. go, to enter a zone. Stop terrorists, that, specifically. Basically, that, the analogy there is, it's like the reason, if people don't understand, a lot of people really don't get this, the reason people don't understand why it's a famous conspiracy theory that Stanley Kubrick filmed the moon landings is because yeah. when you watch the movie 2001 Space Odyssey, that is before the fucking moon landing. But he's doing those shots that look better than the moon landing footage yeah. of like things in space spinning. Like essentially, the point I'm making here is he actually invented that idea in your brain. You just think when you see it now, but I've seen that a million times. Is what it's like. So it's the same thing. I agree, Richard. It's actually insane that you'd even put that in a film. Like it's yeah. mad prescient, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. And as I said, remember, it's specifically to stop the terrorist resistance, yes. destroying stuff on Mars, and then you know you get to a post 9/11 world, and we're all just sort of doing it as a matter of. <laughs> course it's like yep. it's unreal like it's unreal well, this is what i mean like great sci-fi does have a fucking tendency to just age incredibly well and shit that <laughs> seemed outlandish decades ago is now like just everyday you know commonplace because of the sort of shared creativity of the human mind it's yeah it's, it's and, wild. and think think about things like the video wall where he's watching it on the flat screen monitor yeah 
at his apartment yeah. watching the news, and then they switch it to the the nature dude. scene. And the dude, the holograms yeah. still still look great. Like even yeah. this is nineteen ninety. Yeah. Those hologram shots look fucking awesome way, now. I can even forgive this. You know, normally I despise. Like here's the other reason why I hate that whole snarky Joss Whedon Marvel style of like shitty one liners. Because first of all, they did it way better back in the day in comics anyway. And then secondly, it is just a shit version of Arnold movies where he just does the funny one liner. And in this movie, it has one of his best one liners ever, which is that stupid one where he twice pretend he pretends he's using the hologram again like you think this is the real quid it is like yeah. even though it's pure cheese that's funny as fuck that's yeah. actually a really well done like you think this is the real quid it is anyway, that's the other thing i love about this even though I do actually subscribe to Richard's thing that like Paul Verhoeven sort of knows what he's doing here and it doesn't matter if Arnold's being Arnold. I don't think Arnold knows that he's doing that at all. I think Arnold really thinks like, nailed it again. I like <laughs> life in America. Like he, like, when he says that line, the look on his face, like he's just so proud, like it is like, yeah. like it's all garbage, bro. You are so bad at acting. <laughs> so the, um, the, the, I'll give you my third interpretation that I know not a lot of people fuck with. Right. Uh, Does this mean that he's gay? Come on, hit me with it. I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually, it, it, we're back to stupid, yeah, no. sexy vampires okay. again. No, no, no. It, it's not a movie about sexuality. It's actually a movie about spirituality. It's a movie about death, right? Okay. Um, I, I think what uh so first of all i believe quaid dies in the film this is like my this is my head canon i think that schizoid embolism part is essentially that scene when he murks the doctor is essentially him accepting uh his fate sure. which is to you know go go on and die what i think is interesting about the movie and how i because i know paul verhoeven is like a deeply spiritual dude and he has always put religious elements into his film films going right back to his dutch output and so I like for me, I think this is about sort of accepting death and, you know, the so obviously total recall, you know, your life does flash before your eyes before before you die. Not saying this is his real life by any stretch of the imagination. But if you notice, he at the start of the movie, he wants to be more than he is. He's a construction worker. He's really bored with his life, obviously in the novella and accountant. Um, and he wants to go to Mars. He wants to go to this other place because it's like exotic and out there. But his kind of desires are kind of quite base. You know, he doesn't have a particularly great marriage. He's not really engaged. And if you watch as it sort of goes through the movie, he becomes more altruistic. He becomes a, a, essentially a better person. Yes, it's saturated with gore with death. But what the, the, the cause he's fighting for is the common cause kind of of humanity and sort of at the end when he is ultimately embraced by the object you know of his desire you know melina who says kiss me before we wake up and it fades up to white as a deliberate panning up shot that's kind of him like ascending if you like so sure. I, I think there is i think there's definitely another religious or spiritual allegory percolating under the surface and i think it's i, I think it's one that sort of only works if you think about you know, de death and atonement as a Christian concept. So uh, it, it's there. I definitely think Quaid dies. You can you can ignore all the other bullshit if you want, 
But um, I think I think that I think this movie is sort of again there's like a little through line about you know what are you willing to sacrifice to be a better person? What are you willing to do for humanity? And are you willing to sort of sacrifice it all? Which indeed he does. So yeah, it's like I, I know not a lot of people fuck with that, but I I, I think it's there if you want to read it like that. All right, final thoughts, Thorin. I give a man mainly like I just think it's it's actually like unironically like I said this on the last one I think it's just unironically one of the best movies ever like it's actually if anything somewhat masked by the fact people will unfortunately if they saw it a long time ago just remember mm. silly one-liners and Arnie doing shit and you know, continuing the divorce and just shooting everyone and they actually will miss that behind it there's a brilliant sci-fi movie that also is very well directed. Uh, my my final thoughts as I said because uh, it's. We're just glossing over. We'll, we'll cut the spiritual part out. I liked your interpretation. I have nothing to add. I think it's an interesting okay. It's an interesting twist. I do. Yeah, my, my, my final thoughts on this are that, uh, you know, look, I really feel that society has become so sort of absurd. The one thing that has suffered is sort of satire. I don't really see a, an abundance of good satire, particularly in movies. You know, like, I mean, I, there's probably some out there, but nothing well, like this. So this. South Park's still rolling rolling with it pretty hard, so. You know, I mean, look, uh, this is, what I love about this type of satire, what I love about Verhoeven satire is he's talking about really big, important stuff. You know, I've got nothing against South Park. I totally fuck with it and, you know, think it's funny and all that. But, you know, ultimately, down the years, it's become more and more mired in the culture war bullshit. Sure. This is big. These, these, this, these are big ideas. This is big satire. This is like really swinging for the fences and the thing that things that it's talking about. And what's wonderful is, it packaged it into a big dumb Arnie action movie, right? Which isn't a big dumb action Arnie movie at all. Arnie action movie at all. It's it it, it literally is the Trojan horse for philosophy and bigger ideas <laughs> foisted onto a moronic popcorn audience that went there to hear continuity the both see you at the party. That's what. The, but but it, it's it worms its way into your brain and forces you to engage with what it's about and think about what it's trying to say and go and argue with your mates about about the ending and it's so brilliant in how it succeeds at doing that and was a huge commercial success 65 million made nearly 300 million at the box office in 1990 like crazy crazy stuff it's one of those movies that absolutely has stood the test of time everybody has to see this movie at least twice uh and i it's it's whether arnie knew it or not it's probably the smartest film he made yeah i, th I think as we said this movie has aged incredibly well and it reminds me in some ways about how during periods of heavy orthodoxy in history, sometimes if you want to say, if you wanted in, in, for example, in the medieval Christendom, if you wanted to get some philosophical ideas out there that might be considered heretical, sometimes you had to bury them within a standard story that appeared satirical so that people who were paying attention 
could see what was simmering underneath and kind of read between the lines. And to me, it really reminds me of those kind of texts. I think what's interesting is obviously it doesn't have to be that way because there are no he could make a much more direct movie. But I think what's so special about this is that philosophy and the nature of reality within the film are open to interpretation and discussion. And so it really, as we've we've done on this show, turns into a fascinating conversation about these aspects. And many people get many different things out of it. And that's much more of a work of art than any of the other films that we're talking about within this arc. So it is quietly extremely intelligent it has held up super well when it comes to the effects the cinematography uh it, it's only gotten better over time and i think that is true of robocop i think it's true of it's definitely true of starship troopers these were all films that were very much misunderstood upon their release and have gotten so much better over the years. So, by the way, here's how you know it's held up amazingly. They did, as we alluded to when we set this whole thing up, they did do a reboot of it. They did like a remake with now, first of all, that was like 10 years ago itself now, anyway. But even so, here's all you need to know no one remembers that. Like, even though you said it might, like, you know, watch out, don't get the like modern one. No one even knows that movie existed. That one just literally came up, went away, was forgotten about. It had nothing interesting about it. It's just a shitter version of this movie with none of the interesting elements. It's just a very straightforward film. And if anything, that just shows that, like, you didn't need to make this movie again with, like, new graphics and a different cast. It didn't work. Like, I actually yeah. think this one's quite, this will just outlive it in the same way as, like, a classic examples like, like, if people don't know, CS Source didn't really replace 1.6, they were coexisted. And then, sort of, like, essentially now people think it was just 1.6 to CS Core. Like, it will just be remembered like that. Like, no one will, no one will remember the remake. We don't need to yeah. discuss it, basically. And, and look, I, I, as a little sort of final detail about, you know, kind of the importance in probably like Schwarzenegger's career, his memoir that he wrote like in 2010 or 2012 or whatever it was, he called it Total Recall. You know, I, I think, I think, I, I, I think, I think on, on some level, he understands it's probably the best thing he's ever been associated with. There you go. Well, next week, guys. We get dumber again. It is going to be Con Air to round out our 90s action arc. We got one piece of art in here and then some, you know, fun. Oh, this is a piece, this is a piece of art in a way. Uh, in a way. I mean, yeah, in a way. Fucking, in a way. Malkovich, dude. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right. We'll see you then. 